We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. They're going to kill the love of my life. If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. It is the Monday after a carnage-filled Week 13. Derek Van Riper here with Nick Whalen. It was a bad weekend in many senses of the word. Uh, fantasy football didn't go well. Real football on Saturday did not go particularly well if you were a Wisconsin Badger fan, uh, as I am. I'm not sure if Nick actually roots. Do you root for the Badgers, or do you just kind of yeah. Yeah, loosely I do. support them? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not tied to them you know where i'm not devastated when they they lose um well, yeah, i mean i'm not in i'm not in college anymore right. like when i was in college if if i were an undergrad right now yeah. i would be still miserable today right. about how they lost that game sure but I, I i'm sad about it but i'm not well, devastated i think it depends so i was i was in indianapolis for the game and 
you know, you could tell just being at the stadium and Penn State, like want, Penn State fans at least were so much more into that game and just wanted that game. And I think that's because, you know, they haven't kind of reached this height in a while. And it's just, this is kind of their, you know, we're back moment, which, which is cool. Uh, but the other thing is Wisconsin has been to three Rose Bowls, you know, earlier in the decade. Um, you know, they've won what two Big Ten titles already, or they've been to this was their fourth. They've been, Big been Ten to four. Game, they've won two. So it's just it was just kind of a different environment, you know. Where and you also knew, you know, by that time Washington had already won on Friday, and Clemson had pretty much been leading Virginia Tech the entire game, and there was it wasn't looking good essentially as far as getting into the playoffs. So. I think it, this didn't have the feel of a, of a play-in game as it would have had Clemson or, or Washington specifically on Friday lost. I think that would have made it a different environment. So, yeah, I mean, it's terrible to lose the Big Ten title game after such a, a great season, but it would be a lot more – I think I'd be a lot more bitter if, you know, the winner of the Big Ten title game was going to the playoff because, you know, you're essentially playing for the Rose Bowl, which is great. But I feel like the advent of the college football playoff has kind of devalued the rest of the BCS Bowls like the going to the Rose Bowl feels like an accomplishment, sure, but not as much of an accomplishment as it felt, you know, in 2011 or 2012. Yeah, it feels like it's just narrowed the gap between the Rose Bowl and like the Cotton Bowl, where the right. Badgers are going to go, because you you realize like, oh, this is the these are the third and fourth right. best teams. Like the, the Rose Bowl used to be like the second best bowl, essentially. You know, if you're if you're a Big Ten team, now it's just kind of like, okay, well, you didn't get into the playoffs, so we'll send you to this bowl, which the Rose Bowl again is a great bowl, but it doesn't quite have the same prestige. And I think just kind of the, the recent success of Wisconsin football kind of eased the, the pain of this loss. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, it, it was kind of playing with house money, too, right. just being there, because I don't think anybody expected no, Wisconsin no. to be uh, as good as they were record-wise this year. Now they get Western Michigan in the Cotton Bowl, which will actually be a tough game. It's, yeah. it's kind of the uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of right. thing, where if you, if you win, everyone just says, well, you're supposed to win, you're the bigger school, and if you lose, it's, ha-ha, you guys lost to a team from the MAC. Mm-hmm. Right, it's, a, it's really a no-win for Wisconsin. I mean, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look like a disappointment, you know, finishing with three losses and, and you know, winning the Cotton Bowl, which is essentially a BCS Bowl, uh, you know, if they win, which for most programs is, you know, a great season, but... Uh, it's just kind of a, an odd end to what's been such an an up and down year, I guess, for the Badgers. Well, more importantly, I've been on a Snapchat text yeah. hot hot takes burn sort of uh, hot streak. At least I was. A I was on a heater. I don't think I am now. I think that little explanation. Probably I, heard, I heard you discovered Snapchat filters this weekend. Yeah, yeah, those those are kind of useful, right? Uh, especially when you're in random places where you don't expect to find a, a local filter. Geotag, yeah. Those geotags are nice. Yeah, Indy, Indy had like seven different ones. It's unbelievable. Wow. Madison only has like three or four. What a city. Yeah. Seven geotags? Yeah, it was crazy. You playing Pokemon Go? Never. I, never. I don't know anything about Pokemon. I'm actually really surprised you don't. I know, uh, you know, Latarski is really into it. He um, found an Ekans in the bathroom during our trip to Vegas. The hotel room bathroom, not like a public restroom. He's not, I don't think he's that much of a Pokemon savage where he's, you know, walking into public restrooms and trying to catch them. That's that's a bad, bad development not. if that's the case. And I, I've never seen him do that. So to my knowledge, he's completely innocent. Uh, but yeah, the snap filter thing, kind of a big deal. Uh, I found out a good friend of my brother lives in Madison and He's been bringing girls to Herbert's and Gerbert's sandwich shop on first dates. Sure. Like on Friday nights, not at 11 o'clock on a Monday morning. And we gave him a lot of grief for that because you can't 
I mean, it, it's it's like bringing someone to Subway. Basically, it's a notch. It's a notch above Subway, but that's more or less what's happening here. And he's wondering. He's like, "Well, yeah, she she didn't want a second date." It's like, "Well, I think it might have been because you brought her to a sub shop on a Friday night. Like most people don't want to go out for a sub at seven o'clock on a Friday." No, I I I feel like you should have let me know about this ahead of time so I could be a little more prepared Just to, swoop to address in? this topic. No, I mean like oh. what Herbers and Gerberts? I I love Herbers and Gerberts, but that's no that's nowhere you would ever consider for a date. They they only have like three tables in there. Yeah, well, the the lack of tables isn't even like a top ten reason why that's not a great place to go for a date. I don't. They, they don't expect people to eat there. You pick it up and you walk to wherever you live and you eat it at home. I just wonder if the employees are, are laughing at him because they're like, hey, every Friday this guy comes in. It's a different girl every Friday, but what's the deal? Like, why why does he keep coming back with different girls? I just think like he can't he can't look at you and be like, wow, I never I never thought it might be Herberts and Gerberts. That's you know, leading these girls to not want to talk to me. Yeah, well, he. I, I told him. I said, so "Bill, you gotta, you gotta just go across the street. There's a there's Dottie's. Like there's a good burger Dottie's, place. Wando's is right there. You could go Wando's food. Red I would Shed. say is above Red Shed's a little borderline. I think you you gotta be you gotta be careful with the Red Shed for a first date. That could, that could be a little dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends which night you go. You know, the Jumbo Long Island night, you get yourself in trouble real quick. I think within a hundred steps. In either direction, though, there's a nice burger place. Yeah, vintage is right there. Vintage is there. And then if you go the other direction towards State Street, even before you get to State Street, there's a coffee shop. You yep. can just have a date there. Right. Nice casual. There's an Italian shop. place in between State Street, right? Uh, Portobello, I think it's called. Right. I, who, who brings someone to a sandwich shop on a first date? Unless you're going out with the Sandwich King from the we Food Network. this guy on the podcast to explain himself. There's really no reason for this. Yeah, well, he... Uh, he also didn't know what true American was when I brought that up. Oh. So not a not a not, not a good sound weekend. Like a cool guy. Rough. No, he's he's, he's all right, but he's he just needs a little coaching. <laughs> all right. Well, we got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, before we get to that, one last weekend related matter. Jersey's scene. You mentioned uh, something unusual to me. I think it was Saturday. It was all a big blur to me this yeah. weekend with the, the game right. and travel and all sorts of other things going on. Um, well, one thing that my friends and I, who I was at the game with, like we all. You know, within an hour of being downtown on Saturday, like it was evident that Penn State people love jerseys. Like Wisconsin fans, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of number 32, 28, still a lot of 33s. A lot of, 33s. Uh, of course, no name on the back of these, but you, you know who they're for. Um, but like, it seemed like 80% of Penn State fans were wearing a jersey. Uh, a lot of number 14, which I believe is Matt McGloin. Uh, so they probably purchased those recently. Uh, I had a few conversations about Allen Robinson uh, with some Penn State fans. That was nice. Uh, but the best one that I saw was a Paul Puzlesny Penn State jersey with the name on the back. So that means someone had to go out of their way to like take that to a custom tailoring shop to get Puzlesny put on the back. You know, I think that's one of the problems we have in this country. There aren't enough places where you can bring a mm-hmm. blank jersey in and come out yeah. an hour later with something added to it. Right. Wouldn't that be great? I know one of my one of my friends in high school had a, a grandma who was really into sewing and had like this nice advanced like sewing kit and. He bought a, a West Virginia jersey and, and got Steve Slayton on the back of it, and I Whoa. was so, so, so jealous. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. This, this was in, like, you know, when, when I was in, like, maybe sixth or seventh grade, so you know, peak sleep, Steve Slayton times. Very impressive. I saw Steve Slayton carve up the Packers. I think it was his rookie season. I think it was the only season he was really good. Mm-hmm. He looked like one of the best running backs I'd ever seen yeah. in that he and, game. He and Pat White were probably the best running back, quarterback combination 
in the history of college football for about a year. Yeah, they were they're pretty good. And with Slayton, he started fumbling because I think he had neck problems. Yeah, some some vertebrae damage in his neck, and ultimately that, that ended his career. It, yeah, that, that's a pretty unfortunate turn for him. But he he looked sensational in that game. Would have been two thousand and eight, probably. It's a while ago a, he now. He was a Texan, I think, right? Yeah, it was 2010. Again, the years are all blurring together. The for problem me. is they broke those two up. Like Pat White, I think went to the Dolphins and was like a little bit of like a wildcat guy. Like right, those joined two Marcus only... Vick with the Dolphins, I think. Yeah, like those two were only good together. Not you can't you know, break as up a the set. Yeah, you really can't. All right, well we're gonna go through each of the games on this week 13 slate. A lot of delaying there in part because it was a painful slate for many of us. Uh, Lions Saints. Look, Coon. the Lions might be good, and there's a lot of things that went wrong. Drew Brees didn't throw a TD pass. Uh, Mark Ingram got vultured by John Coon. Brandon Cooks was tackled inside the five. Sean Payton challenged the play, lost the challenge. It looked like Cooks may have been tackled, but with a player underneath him the entire time. I think just enough of his arm, his upper arm, caught the ground as he was trying to get up. He was ruled down by contact, so you were, you were that close to a TD. If you're a Brandon Cooks owner, if you didn't see the highlights, you may have not even realized that that happened. But what if the Lions are good? I mean, Matthew Stafford obviously played well. I think he was over 300 yards, two TDs. Uh, Riddick pulled in one of those. Didn't do much yardage-wise. Golden Tate, though, had a monster He's day. Back. He is back. We were talking about dropping Golden Tate around, what, week six, probably week seven? Um, Four or five, yeah, a little, little before that. He started yeah. to come back in October, but his right. September well, it was bad. It seemed like that, that Vikings game three, four weeks ago when he when he had the walk-off touchdown was kind of the big turning point, I guess, for him. And he's, he's pretty much ripped that, uh, that number one receiver job back, and it's really not in question anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Lions are, they're eight and four. They're two games up on Green Bay. I was, I was just talking to one of our, our part-timers out in the, in the office before we recorded about, you know, scenarios looking at the Packers, you know, they're, they're, they've won two straight. They're starting to look a little bit more complete. I mean, the opponents, uh, the last two weeks obviously haven't been top notch. Um, but at the same time, I mean, they're, they're still in the thick of this and, and Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback in that division that you don't necessarily want to bet against. But I mean, right now Detroit controls its own destiny. They do play Green Bay in Week 17. Green Bay gets Seattle uh, in Week 14 coming up, so that's going to be an issue. But uh, Detroit has Chicago next week. Then they're at the Giants, at the Cowboys, and they finish up home against Green Bay. Cowboys game is tough, obviously. The Giants game, to me, feels like a 50-50. But you certainly like their chances next week against Chicago. Yeah, I don't think the Giants are that good. I think they were exposed yesterday by the Steelers to an extent, and we're going to see other quality I mean, they, teams do that they had a, they had a very weak strength they've been of exposed in wins <laughs> like they've been exposed since week one but they just continue to kind of find ways yeah ben mcadoo just mm-hmm. lucking his way into eight wins so far this season but the lions might just be good that's right a distinct possibility uh but it's, it's a disappointing game Calvin johnson holding him back probably i mean breeze not throwing a td pass in a game at home is very unusual mm. some people are out of the playoffs because of that, right. Breeze, you feel safe about him every almost every time you use him. But at home, especially, you're thinking 280, two TDs as a floor to be shut down by the Lions was a big surprise. They are right. getting healthy defensively, and that might be a big part uh, of their uh, recent success. You're kind of going with the Ben McAdoo hair today. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a product. I see, that. as they say in the business. I don't know what business that hair the hair business. I guess <laughs> I'm supposed to have some. It's not anywhere I can find it. Uh, Chiefs-Falcons, yep. this game ended in a way that was even more unusual and more exciting, I think, than the uh, Ravens 
blocked field goal returned for a TD against the Browns last year. <laughs> which in that, that game just last year, that feels like forever ago. Wow, feels like a lifetime ago. Those two teams, that game didn't matter. No, and this was big for the NFC and AFC playoff picture. Uh, Julio Jones got hurt on what was the go-ahead scoring drive for mm-hmm. the Falcons. It just wasn't a go-ahead for very long sort of scenario. Up one, Dan Quinn going for two to make it a case where a field goal would only tie the game. The Chiefs rallied to get a field goal. Instead, Matt Ryan gets picked off by Eric Berry. Berry runs it back for two uh, after having a pick six yep. earlier in the game. Uh, Barry is from Atlanta, or at least the Atlanta area. I said it was his first time back since going back for chemotherapy uh, as he was battling cancer before. And it's it's one of those games where I, I expect both these teams to be in the playoffs, but the Falcons are quietly eroding They're doing from their Falcon early season right form. Now. This is what they do. They've become yep. known for this. These November-December fades are uh, they're just all too familiar, I think, for right. Falcons fans. But the Chiefs, I mean, I feel like the Chiefs have had three or four games that they've just completely snuck out in, in ways like this. I mean, you think the Carolina game a few weeks back where Marcus Peters, you know, rips the ball away from Calvin Benjamin and they get a, you know, a miracle field goal on that one after having a, a miracle pick six. It, things are breaking right, uh, I guess, for KC. And, and then, like you said, things are not breaking the correct way for Atlanta. All of a sudden, they're tied with Tampa Bay in the division right now. Atlanta's plus 55, Tampa Bay's minus eight differential wise on the season. They're both seven and five. Yeah, I had kind of written off Tampa Bay, and I continue to be wrong about them pretty much every week. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure I was on San Diego uh, to hold serve this week, and, and we'd see the Bucks kind of crash back to earth after a big mm-hmm. win over uh, a gas leak-impacted Seattle squad last week. And it, it just, look, Tampa Bay seems legit. They're, they're the team I thought they were at the beginning good? of the year. Because like, look how good Seattle looked last night. And, you know, Carolina isn't all that great, certainly, but... I mean, holding that Seattle team that just, you know, scored the way it did last night to, to five points. Tampa might be as good as Detroit. They might. They, they could win on the an, road. They're winning NFC on the road. Preview. That's the thing. They get the Saints twice in the next three weeks, which great from a fantasy perspective. But mm-hmm. as we've seen, the Saints aren't the same team at home. They haven't been for three or four years now. They're not unbeatable at home. I think. No, they are not. I think the Bucks can beat them twice in the next three games and, and actually right. put even more pressure on the Falcons. Yeah, I mean, it looked like a couple weeks ago Atlanta had this division wrapped up. Um, and, you know, even last week beating Arizona handily at home, uh, you know, that they looked like a, a, a more complete team, I guess, than the one that had just lost before the bye to Philly. But the nice thing for Atlanta is your next two games are L.A. and San Francisco. Yeah, uh, that that is that is pretty nice. The other nice thing is apparently the injury that knocked out Julio Jones isn't that serious. Right. So... He should be okay for week 14. At least that's the early indication. Will he definitely never quite seems to be 100%. No, he never does. He wasn't on the field for the, again, the eventual go-ahead TD that was only a go-ahead TD for a few moments. Uh, it was Aldrick Robinson pulling in that TD catch. Not Taylor Gabriel, not Devontae Freeman out of the backfield, not Mohamed Sanu. Mm-hmm. No, no, it was Aldrick Robinson because that's how the Falcons roll. Matt Ryan's disappointing game is... It's relative, of course. 297 yards and a TD. It's a little less than what he'd been doing for you all year, though. I mean, if he carried you to that point and you were in a close matchup, you're looking at Matt Ryan's output and you're kind of saying, hey, this is, this is a little less than what I've grown accustomed to. Is there any reason to question the two-point conversion call? Uh, one, going for it to, you know, kind of a cross-field pass, I guess. I mean, it was to get a pick six in that, or a pick two, I guess, in that situation – 
you know, it, it takes a, a certain type of play where, you know, Barry was able to basically get momentum and go on touch the rest of the way. Like, do you, do you like the call to go for two to make it a three-point game? And secondly, do you like the call to throw there rather than run or, you know, throw to the corner rather than something over the middle? I think it's weird to throw on a play where Julio is not on the field when yes. you have Devontae Freeman capable of getting two yards with relative ease. That being said, I'm not going to second-guess no. the actual it, play call. Yeah, if they get it, it's like, well, good. They did the right thing and got it. I think this is the problem. When you, can, you can follow the correct process and get the wrong result. It happens right. all the time in, in baseball and football and a lot of other sports. Yep. It's just part of the game. I think the, the old-school mentality crowd will be hammering on Dan Quinn a bit more, but I have no problems at all with their decision to go for it. I, I think it's it would have been stupid to kick the extra point. Doesn't get you anything. Because the Chiefs still would have had some time left to go down and get a field goal and win, right. and the way this game was going... That prevents a safety from winning it, though. you got to think about that. <laughs> yeah, see, it, it, you, you always got to play defense right. against the safety uh, beating you. Travis Kelsey played really well in this game, by he the did. way. Eight for 140 on eight targets, really stepping up in the absence of Jeremy Macklin. Spencer Ware scored twice, didn't do a ton from a yardage standpoint. Total of 17 touches, 14 carries, three catches, 52 yards, two scores. Uh, good enough to help you out if you were throwing him into your lineup. The carry split for the Falcons was 15-12, favoring Devontae Freeman. Tevin Coleman did not find the end zone. Freeman scored twice. So Freeman also coming up in a big spot uh, for those who drafted him in Week 13. Anything else from this game that really uh, caught your eye? Not at all. Nothing. Nothing, nothing. at all. This this game was one thing. meaningless to me otherwise, uh, other than those things we talked about. Texans-Packers. In snowy conditions at Lambeau, a little windy, but not so windy where you expect the passing game to completely go away. Uh, traction seemed to be a problem, though, for, for all players. I saw Vince Wilfork uh, on a really unfortunate play. He just lost his footing right off the that's snap. That's what you think. If Vince Wilfork can, you know, can't handle himself, that's when you really know it's rough. <laughs> well, it, once, once it, if Vince Wilfork, I'd love to see a sports science on Vince Wilfork's balance in the snow because that would be fascinating. It probably doesn't take much to shift everything in a way where he can't save it and he right. just, just bit it right off a snap on one play because conditions were very slick. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, of course, the hamstring injury, didn't have the same mobility. The mechanics looked a little bit inconsistent, but still 209 yards, two TDs, seven yards per attempt. I thought he'd get a little more because Jonathan Joseph, the Texans' best cover corner, left this game with an injury. Jordy Nelson finished with 118 yards, eight catches, including a TD pass uh, on some uh, snow-induced defensive lapses in the Houston secondary. The thing that really wrecked people in this game, maybe there were two. First off, the way James Starks was used, I had Starks going in a league just by desperation. Four carries for one yard. Kristen Michael had nine for 19. Ty Montgomery started carrying the ball again, six for 40, and was catching passes out of That's the backfield. bizarre split. Without warning. And, yeah. and it's like, it's, it's one thing if you're going to make a change, just suggest, hey, we're going to get Michael more involved this week. Hey, we really like the way Ty's been catching the ball in practice. Something, there was no indication of a change. So that was, that was maddening. Uh, Lamar Miller... 14 for 22, he got dinged up. He already had an injury, and the fact that it was it was snowy, and that was not a good never setup for him. Gym. Weirdly enough, Jonathan Grimes was converting third and longs on draw plays. I, sure. The Fire Capers Mafia was, was out in full force yesterday. And then really uh, to put the, the cherry on the crap Sunday from this game from a fantasy perspective, uh, Ryan Griffin hauled in a TD pass from Brock Osweiler. Instead, 
of C.J. Fedorowicz, who looked like a great streaming option at tight end. He looked like a good uh, DFS play. He had a team-high nine targets, six catches for 44 yards, but with Griffin getting that TD, if you played Fedorowicz, you were probably disappointed with the output. Yeah, and, and Aaron Rodgers now over his last seven quietly compiling a 19-3 to TD to interception ratio. Oh, is that good? It's not bad. The rating's up to just about 105 over that span. So, uh, I mean, are, are you you're someone who roots for the Packers and follows them more closely than I do? Are you are your worries about Rodgers that were really you know seeming to ramp up you know around week four, week five, five have five have those have those? What was my level of panic well, compared you, to the average person? The, probably a one. I was yeah. I was I was I was wondering why he was missing throws that he doesn't usually miss. That was a concern. He does look like a different quarterback, though, since week five. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that is just the players around him being healthier, Nelson being further away from his ACL injury, Devontae Adams stepping up. I mean, it's multivariable calculus. Sure. It, it, I, I'm not worried about Rodgers, I think, outside of the, the hamstring. If the hamstring continues to be something he's tweaking, which is easier to do when it's cold like it is now, it's easier to have an injury that's a recurring injury when it's a soft tissue problem like that. Mm-hmm. And I think he's mentioned in the past, uh, I don't remember if it was Edward or somebody else was tweeting about this on Sunday morning. Rodgers has mentioned that the cold has bothered his muscles in the past. So you add an injury to the equation, right. he might not get that mobility back between now and the postseason if the Packers make it to the playoffs. And I think well, that could be part of the problem. Well, it's funny that there's this belief, uh, you know, that playing in Lambeau is this huge advantage for the Packers. And, and in some ways it is, you know, especially if you're playing a team like Houston that, one plays and practices in Texas, two plays in Dome, you know, it, it's more of a shock, I think, for them. But, like, it's not like this Packers team is designed to succeed in snowy, freezing conditions, right? Like, you almost think that, given their preference, um, they would you know, be better off in a Dome situation or a, a warm weather, no-win situation with, with the way that they throw the ball. You know, they don't have this kind of ground-and-pound type of mentality a team like Dallas to me is a team that you would think would you know that's a cold weather type of team in terms of how they run their offense Green Bay isn't really like that but but there still seems to be this kind of this belief for this mystique that that playing at Lambeau in the cold this late in the year gives them this big advantage I think a lot of that started to kind of degrade back when Michael Vick came in in the playoffs and won at Lambeau I think that's when a switch was flipped and everybody was like oh well, this guy is a mobile well, quarterback who plays Michael indoors. Could win a playoff game too, not in Lambeau. Right, and and the reasons for for the the Vic criticism at that time were completely absurd, but they were there shortly after they were validated. <laughs> they were they were later validated, but for different reasons, I guess. Anyway, you, you look at the way this team is built, and yeah, it's not not a case where they've got twenty two Aaron Ripkowskis on the roster. Well, now, I I know who plunged into the end zone. And I know if, if we had the opportunity, if if the people of Wisconsin were given a cloning machine and you could clone any one player 22 times, I guess you don't need 21 clones to get the original still. Right. But for continuity, you might want 22 mm-hmm. clone Ripkowski. Well, he is number 22, right? Wow, that's, 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 eerie. that's eerie. Uh, I tweeted this out during the game. Uh, so Kuhn had already scored earlier uh, during the New Orleans game, Ripkowski. Uh, you know, bullied his way into the end zone for Green Bay. When both of those guys score on the same day, everything at Fleet Farm should be fifty percent off for twenty four hours. Yeah, you got to talk to if Blaine. You're Fleet Farm, this is a big missed opportunity. Well, wait a minute. So you, we already had a disagreement last week about Farm and Fleet versus Fleet Farm. Fleet Farm in this part of the state, the part we are in, it's Blaine's 
farm and fleet. Is it someone else who runs Back where I'm those from. by you? Back where I'm from, up in northeast Wisconsin, it's Mills Fleet Farm. So, okay, so Mills and Blaine clearly are not I friends. they split. Well, they were, they, they were friends like 150 years ago, and there was like a right. wagon fight, and then everything fell apart? Something like that. Yeah, I'll, uh, we'll see if we can get Blaine or, or Mills maybe on the on the podcast to clear this up. Well, this is going to be like mid 19th century family rivalries. Duels may have happened and you might be looking at like fourth or fifth generation, you know, ancestors. Mills now. Fleet Farm is not affiliated with Blaine's Farm and Fleet. Although the companies do have similar names. Notes Wikipedia. Well, yeah. I mean, Walmart and Walgreens have similar names, Yeah, but this, they have the same logo. They have the same logo. They do. Yeah. Pretty much. Don't they? Do they have a, a mutual that? agreement not to sue each other? I don't know. I mean, it just this is like too similar to not be affiliated in any way, right? This is very suspicious and something that our listeners are probably really excited right. if about. If you don't live in, what, Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Dakotas, or Iowa, you probably have never even heard of a farm. Yeah, yeah, you got to live in the upper Midwest. I think Michigan has one of the two. I don't, I don't remember. They probably call it something completely different because okay. they, the, they got Pop and the Michigan left turn and a bunch of other goofy things going on over there. Pop? Yeah. You don't say Pop, do you? No. Okay, good. Have you ever heard me say it before today? No, I don't know. I don't. You don't drink a lot of "quote unquote" pop. I know. I, I certainly do not. It's not mm-hmm. not good for you, or for me, or anyone. Or anyone. Uh, All right. Let's move on to the next game on the slate: Patriots twenty-six, Rams ten. Kudos to the Rams for reaching double digits. I didn't think they could do it. Uh, Jared Goff with a late TD pass to Kenny Britt. Todd Gurley held in check, thirty-eight yards on the ground, nine really? yards, nine yards on two catches. 47 yards from scrimmage for a guy that was going mid-first round. If he didn't bury you in the last 12 weeks, there's a decent chance he contributed uh, to your demise in Week 13. Tom Brady, 269 on a TD, below 6 yards per attempt. Uh, LeGarrette Blunt had a 43-yard TD run on a 4th and 1 play in the first quarter. He only finished with 88 yards on 18 carries. Yeah, I mean, but this is what we thought, you know, is a, is a decent... Rams front seven or a very good Rams front seven. So I mean that's not overly surprising. I mean giving up the long run to a guy like Blunt who isn't overly fast in the open field is, is a little surprising. But um, you know obviously with it being a, a fourth and one, that's kind of a unique situation as far as you know the defense usually selling out to stop that one yard. Uh, but I mean the, the Patriots again were were efficient. They weren't overly impressive, I guess, or, or overwhelming. That's kind of how they've won a lot of these games this year. It's just. Uh, I wouldn't say they're doing just enough to win because you know this is a comfortable two-plus touchdown margin, uh, but they're not blowing teams out, and they, they do look a little bit more vulnerable than we're maybe used to seeing from this New England team. Yeah, I guess with Malcolm Mitchell taking on a larger role, it's a matter yeah. of how much of a mismatch does he really create, certainly not as much as Gronk right. does. Martellus Bennett doesn't seem right yet. I think if they get Bennett healthy before the playoffs, that really adds right. a dimension to of the offense that they didn't Gronk, have yesterday. Like you can't, there's only like three or four tight ends you'd probably take over Bennett as your replacement for Gronk. Right? Yeah, I mean, Martellus Bennett's a good he's player really when he's healthy. And yeah. I think they're going to exploit that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he can still do the same type of things that Gronk does as far as being able to line him up in a slot you know, and, and kind of use him as a, as a receiver, whether it's a decoy or not. Uh, and there just aren't that many tight ends that are fast enough and, and kind of agile enough, I guess, to hold that role in addition to being a, a good blocker and, and a you know, quote-unquote traditional tight end who, who lines up at the end of the line. Yeah, the, well, and part of it's how much is he going to have to block, too. I guess that's, right. that's part of the, the issue right now. Uh, James White and Deion Lewis, they were one player. They would have had eight catches for 29 yards on 10 targets, and even that wouldn't have been that good. But they also would have had eight carries for 44 yards. It's a shame uh, you can't merge players in fantasy. 
that might be the wave of the future where you can yeah. you could smash two yeah. part-time players together to get something that resembles like a full-time role. With, with Hill and Bernard all these years. Well, what if it had to be two players that were on the waiver wire in your league? Mm. So you could take like the second and third tight end for a team and cur- like mash them together and get three catches on four targets right. for 12 yards. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? That'd make fantasy a better game. Uh, Chris Hogan hauled in Brady's yep. only TD pass in this one. Danny Amendola suffered an injury. I think it was a foot injury, so that could open up a few more targets for Hogan, depending on the severity of that ailment. But otherwise, this game was uh, kind of a snoozer, as we expected it to be, because the Rams are the Rams, and Jeff Fisher is not going away anytime soon. Broncos 20, Yags 10. Blake Bortles, 19 for 42, 181 yards, 4.3 yards per attempt. He matched the number posted by Broncos rookie Paxton Lynch. Two picks for Bortles. Did have two carries for 29 yards and a score. Touchdown, yeah, fourth down, 22-yarder. I think it's time to just make Blake Bortles a running back, Nick. You know, I it's funny. I actually had that same conversation with a friend. I was I was in the car driving back from from Indy, well, well, keeping tabs on this game. And a lot of topics. We had that same idea. After Bortles threw the pick six, he now has more pick sixes than career wins. If you're wondering, um, after he wow. threw that, it was kind of a you know he he had a run for that touchdown and kind of thought you know maybe he's just more effective as a runner than a passer. Um, but this is just this was another typical Jaguars loss this, this reminded me a lot of the Houston game where you look at the you look at the box score and like Osweiler I think got to 97 yards in that game and Paxton Lynch in this one 12 of 24 104 yards like nothing Denver did offensively would say that they should win this game uh, against a normal team but you know when you get a defensive touchdown uh, that certainly changes things and you know it was just more of the same for, for the Jags three catches on 10 targets for Allen Robinson who continues to be wildly inefficient um, you know, no Chris Ivory for Jacksonville. So it was Yeldon and Denard Robinson now, I think has led them in carries for two straight weeks. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying go pick up Denard Robinson, but there's maybe value there if you're absolutely desperate for a running back because he's, he's had the carries. I mean, he carried it 17 times, uh, on Sunday for a long of five yards. I think if this were a video, people would never subscribe. But as you said, I'm not saying pick up Denard Robinson. I'm not I, saying that. I think I, I think I made either a Jim Halpert face or a Michaela Maroney face. I'm not sure I think which it was one. A mix. It was more Halpert. Um, like 80% Halpert, yeah. 20% Michaela Maroney. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, another another idea that that spawned from this game, uh, following on the promo idea for Kuhn and Ripkowski, also also tweeted this one out. What do you think? You ever watched to catch a predator? Mm, it's kind of that dateline you know where they ambush like child predators who've been like saying really creepy stuff to kids online i've seen the micro episode of that tucked into arrested development yes where tobias gets taken down right exactly it's, i mean it's really not that far off from the arrested development version. no i think it's exactly right i mean yeah. john beard's not the yeah right it's uh chris hansen they need to start doing that with people going to jaguars games just find like, out chris why kind of creepers up, are doing like, that what are, you, what are you doing here um, and the other guys, I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm just, just hanging out. Like, you yeah. heading to the Jags game? Well, Why don't you take a seat over there? You would be pretty high up on their people of interest list, though. I know. I got in and got out, luckily. Yeah, good good week but one. Think about it. When, yeah, when I went in week one, the, the outlook on the Jags was night and day from where it is now. That was a, People were talking about how that was a great loss to a really good Packers team. <laughs> You know, it's one of the things I like uh, about the fantasy playoffs at the end of the regular season. I think NFL or NFL.com runs a commercial where it's people 
talking about stuff from August and September, and it's clearly wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the Jags are going to be at least a wild card team this year. Like that, that's probably going to be that's going to be one of the things that someone yeah. says on that commercial, and someone's going to like nod along, like, "Yeah, man, Blake Bortles is going to be an elite fantasy quarterback." It's going to be just top end trolling of the Jags, which shouldn't even happen. It's not even fair. Who's Neil Sterling, by the way? Is he a real player? So, yeah, he is. Was as he a Madden Creator player that got in? Honestly, he might be. Uh, but Mercedes Lewis is on IR. Julius Thomas was held out of this one. So Neil Sterling and Ben Koyak, your two tight ends. The Jags don't roster a fullback, so they technically start two tight ends each week. Uh, so that's that's why those guys are on the team. It's a great way. It's a sneaky thing to do. Right. Uh, they don't roster a Ripkowski. Are you feeling good about the defense at least? Yeah. Yeah, I think kind you should. Of. I think I, it's, I should it's, say yeah. I should say kind of. Well, it depends if, if Gus Bradley's still there right. next Dante year. Dante Fowler has not been good. That's a concern. Uh, but Jalen Ramsey looks really good, and that's that's always fun. The, right. the Miles Jack, you know, hype train is kind of stalled. Yes, it has. Uh, but the Capri Bibbs hype train may just be leaving the station. Yeah. Five carries, forty nine yards, nine point eight yards per carry. While Devontae Booker had eighteen for thirty five, he did find the end zone. I told Mario Puig on Friday, I'm like, look, if Booker's still going to get heavy volume he has to score eventually because mm-hmm. he's he'd been over 20 carries in back-to-back games hadn't scored right. uh, since taking over the starting job i, I think he just won td right. right away and he did get in the end zone but his long carry was six yards on 18 attempts it's still been a disappointment right I, I think as soon as you know he took over that starting job you know from from anderson and hillman that we expected i mean he had looked so good as kind of like the the second or third option in moderation, um, you know, being able to rip off long runs. And then it's basically as soon as he took over as the number one back, he's been fine. I mean, he's 75 plus yards in his last two games prior to this one, but he's got, you know, a 22 yard performance against Oakland, just barely got over 50 against San Diego. And then just like you said, 35 uh, on 18 carries for less than two yards per carry against the Jags. I think overall he's been a little bit of a disappointment over the last five weeks. I would uh, I would definitely agree. It's been a bit less than I would have expected. I thought you'd be plug and play as an elite running right, ba- yeah. running back and maybe the kind of guy that takes over the job. I almost never gives it back an Ajayi like ascent from him and not you know 200 plus yards right away like that. But I mean I've thought he was going to be a, a borderline 100 yard guy every week. Yeah, I thought 4.4 4 sure. plus per carry was within range for Booker, and so far he has been far from that. Bengals all over the Eagles. Eagles getting some garbage time production on a day where Carson Wentz put it up 60 attempts. 60 attempts for Carson Wentz. Yeah, uh, absurd number of attempts. I, I thought the Bengals were just kind of dead in the water after these last couple weeks losing. Oh, they, they are. I mean, they're, they are. They're dead. But I didn't expect this performance. I mean, 32 points out of this team. Uh, and obviously Carson Wentz helped them out throwing three picks on those 60 attempts. Um, but no, I mean, I honestly, I thought since he was just kind of ready to pack this season in, and and that's not the case, I guess. The Eagles, though, <laughs> they're not good. They're one and six on the road now yeah. after this loss. Uh, Vontez Burfick had a monster game in this one, so good that's for probably him. Probably the best fantasy player in this game. Maybe, yeah. I mean, Andy Dalton, three thirty-two, yeah, two TDs was pretty good. Jeremy Hill had twenty-three carries for thirty-three yards. I've never seen that before. He right. did score, had two catches for twelve yards as well. So he actually made value. In non PPR and even full PPR leagues, he was at least good enough to be a top 15 running back, I Mm -hmm. think, when it was all said and done. Uh, Brandon LaFell, five for 95 and a score, team high seven targets. Seems like he might be viable as long as AJ Green remains out. 
Wendell Smallwood, eight carries, 19 yards. Not quite the game we were looking for. We saw Darren Sproles uh, plunge in on a short TD run late in this one. Seven carries for 14 yards for Sproles, six for 35 in the passing game. It was really Zach Ertz, nine for 79 and a TD on 15 targets, and Paul Turner, six for 80 on eight targets, leading the way for the Eagles on a day where Doriel Green-Beckham had 10 targets, but only four catches for 29 yards. Uh, Rex Burkhead got a lot of run because the Bengals were up by just that much. I don't expect him to be much more than an extra, you know, passing down sort of player for the Bengals down the stretch, you know, assuming that Jeremy Hill stays healthy. Right. Over the last two weeks, Hill has uh, erupted for 54 rushing yards on 35 carries. That is brutal, brutal inefficiency. Dolphins falling 38-6 in Baltimore, snapping a six-game win streak. How often do teams have a six-game win streak only right. to lose by 32? <laughs> exactly. I, know. I think I asked you, was it on Thursday last week? Like, how many games in a row do you think the Dolphins have won? And I think, what did you guess, like three? I guess, I think three. I, I would have guessed like, maybe two. And yeah, they had quietly ripped off six in a row, and this game was over early, and Miami never really put up much of a fight. I think Joe Flacco made some people wealthy uh, in DFS. Mm-hmm. 381, four TDs. Terrence West, 10 carries, 50 yards, and a score. Kenneth Dixon, 6 for 56. West also uh, caught a TD pass from Flacco. So if you combined Flacco with Terrence West and Dennis Pitta for a cheap stack and then loaded up with David Johnson, you know, Le'Veon Bell types, mixing in the flex spot on on DraftKings, you did really well uh, in this matchup. I think Dixon was almost the more popular matchup this week, too. Yeah, Dixon was – I I thought because they were 50-50 in touches last week, Dixon was going to maybe overtake him, and that didn't happen. Terrence West had a nice game. Jay Ajayi had five yards of carry, but they had to abandon the run because they were down 24-0 at halftime. Jarvis Landry, 11 catches for 87 yards, 14 targets. Devontae Parker, 3 for 34, and the score on four targets. But, yeah, the Dolphins have to regroup after this one. Baltimore played so well that Ryan Mallett got in the game. That's not... That's that's the ultimate measuring stick. That's not a good sign for the Dolphins. This could be the beginning of the end for their season, even though they're still uh, sitting with seven wins. Bears, 26, Niners, 6. Colin Kaepernick sacked five times on a day where he threw the ball five times for a total of four yards. He ran it six times for 20 yards. It wasn't good enough, though. Chip Kelly, looking for a spark, went to Blaine Gabbert in yeah. this game. Yeah, and boy, did he provide that spark. This, is, this looks like the box score from like a Navy football game passing. Five of 15 for six yards. At least if Navy does that, they're going to run the ball for 250 <laughs> yards on 40 yeah. carries. Yeah, I don't know if I didn't get to catch this one, but I, I, did San Francisco switch to the triple option? I don't know, maybe. Uh, Jordan Howard, though. Three touchdowns for the Bears. You talk about productive DFS options. He was certainly up there. Matt Barkley didn't really have to do much in this game, but didn't really make any mistakes. He was sacked once, only seven incompletions, granted on on 18 attempts. But, uh, I mean, in a game like this, I think that's exactly what you want from Matt Barkley. He didn't need to do much to beat what's now a San Francisco team that's lost 11 in a row. Yeah, it's uh, pretty tough after the the big blowout win over the Rams, right? right? And it's been a terrible streak ever since they're not 0 six on the road uh bears lost marquise wilson early in this game with a groin injury it looked like a great setup for him because you look at what josh bellamy did four for 93 on six targets cameron meredith three for 67 on four deontay thompson two for 19 on three i think half of those targets probably go to wilson if he's healthy throughout but he left this game early with an injury but a monster day for jordan howard who i think maybe pushed a lot of people into the fantasy playoffs or out of depending on whether you had him or went against him this week. Uh, let's talk Bills Raiders and LaShawn McCoy getting vultured twice by Mike Gillisley in a critical spot. I mean, McCoy played really well. He, you, you can't be 
that disappointed because he's been carrying your team all season. But the way it happened, just he should have had at least one of those two TDs. If he right. lost by six or less, sixty-one with yards McCoy, through the air too. I mean, he was. This would have been like a, one of the monster better, game. Yeah, if you, if he gets one or both of those rushing touchdowns, which are both you know close to the end zone. Uh, you know, plunges again for for lack of better plunges. Those those were longer runs. Those were actually both like reasonably long runs, though, weren't they? Were they? He had eight for forty nine. He did twenty nine yarder mixed in there too. I mean, Mike, I don't I don't have a problem with Gillisley. I think he's a good player. I just don't like how the first one was a one yard touchdown for Gillisley. It was a one yarder. Huh. How about that? Yeah, what and a the world. second one was a two yarder. They were plunges. They were big time plunges. So yeah, I mean, you think I mean if McCoy goes for one hundred thirty yards plus two touchdowns. Plus seven catches for 61 yards. We're talking about what What would that be? A top five performance by a running back on the year? Yeah, it might, might be up there. Be up there with the Ajay game right. and uh, some of the Melvin Gordon stuff. And yeah. David Johnson's had some big games. Uh, it, it'd be near at or near the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrod Taylor also had a rushing TD. Yeah. So three rushing scores, zero for Shady on a day where he had 191 yards from scrimmage. Sammy Watkins was targeted nine times, three for 38, apparently feeling okay. This was a weird game. Buffalo was up 24 to 9. And they turned it over a couple times, which they don't normally do. I think they're best in the NFL in terms of turnovers offensively. Uh, Tyrod Taylor was sacked four times. He lost a fumble. He was picked off kind of uncharacteristically turning the ball over. I, I still like what he brings to the table. But the Bills at 6-6, six and six, this might be the loss that keeps them out of the postseason. Yeah, it very well might be, and it's such an, such an odd game. I mean, it looks like a blowout for Oakland, and it ultimately was, but like I said, I mean, nine minutes left in this game, Baltimore's up 24-9, to nine, look like, looking like they're firmly in control, and it's not like Oakland had like a pick six or a punt return or anything. Like They just marched down and scored four straight touchdowns. Short fields, I think, right. on the turnovers, though, were a big factor in this one. Uh, let's move on to the Steelers and Giants, the Giants being exposed as the frauds they are. They're now 8-4. and four. Eli Manning, 195 yards, two TDs, two picks, two sacks. Paul Perkins, 7 for 38. Rashad Jennings, 6 for 19, 3.2 yards per carry for Jennings, who still gets the ball anyway because Ben McAdoo is Ben McAdoo. Odell Beckham had 100 yards on 10 catches, 16 targets. For the Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger played well, 289, two scores, one to Ladarius Green, one to Antonio Brown, 6 for 54 for Brown, but 6 for 110 on a team-high 11 targets for Green who now looks like he's a top eight tight end for the mm-hmm. fantasy playoffs based on that usage pattern from yesterday. Le'Veon Bell is just a monster. 29 carries, 118 yards, 6 for 64 on seven targets in the passing game. The only real concern you have to have is that when this game was out of reach late, they were still running Le'Veon Bell into the pile of angry Giants defenders. And there was a point where you know a, a, a melee nearly broke out because the Giants kind of had... Like Le'Veon Bell wrapped up, they were twisting on his head, they were like bending his knees back funny. He just, it seemed like a weird time to risk putting him out there. Yeah. And they ended up kicking a field goal on that drive to go up 10 just to really like put it away. Right. But this game was getting a little bit chippy at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, And going back to Ladarius Green, I think that's the biggest fantasy takeaway. I mean, you expect this from Le'Veon Bell. You expect these big games from Roethlisberger when he's healthy. But, I mean, Green was a guy that I think a lot of people liked as kind of a, a mid-round pick in drafts. And, you know, obviously the, the concussion issues had, had kept him out until midway through last month. But, I mean, this is a type of upside that this guy has. I mean, six catches, 110 yards, and a score at 67 yards last week against the Colts. Um, I mean, if, if you happen to have held on to him or have a chance to grab him heading into the playoffs, I think he's certainly a guy to consider. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I don't have them anywhere, so I'm feeling a bit left out. Cardinals 31, Redskins 23, more or less what I expected to happen in this game. Arizona just a little better than Washington, especially when you play in Arizona. I think you play in Washington, you get the opposite result. Right. David Johnson with another great game, 18 for 84 in a score on the ground, 9 for 91 in a score on 12 targets in the passing game. Uh, Carson Palmer also finding Michael Floyd and J.J. Nelson for scoring strikes in this game. The Nelson one late is what really sealed this game for Arizona. Uh, Nelson's not getting enough targets where he's much more than a desperation play right now. Maybe you feel encouraged by Floyd getting eight targets, but he still only caught three balls. Even though he scored three for 18 and a TD doesn't exactly instill a lot of confidence. Palmer went over just at 300-yard mark, 30 for 46, 300 yards, three TDs, so over like 20 fantasy points. Yeah, like a monster game for him by at least his standards. Uh, Pierre Garcon led the way for the Washington pass catchers, 7 for 78 on nine targets. Vernon Davis, 5 for 47. Jamison Crowder, 3 for 42 and a TD. Rob Kelly had 14 carries for 63 yards. Not bad. 4.5 yards per carry against the Arizona run defense is actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And going back to Johnson quickly, he became the second player in NFL history to amass 1,000 rushing yards and 700 receiving yards through the first 12 games of the season. Impressive. The other? Roger Craig? No. The year is 98. Uh, Marshall Falk. Marshall Falk. Is that the closest comp for David Johnson right now? Le'Veon Bell, I don't know. Like Le'Veon Bell and yeah. David Johnson seem more like each other than they right. seem like I anyone feel, else. I don't know. Bell's like a little more physical to me than Johnson, and Johnson's a little bit quicker in space if that makes sense bell's a really patient runner though yeah that's the thing i, I like the most about him i think is that he, he just he waits for something to develop right. he doesn't go th- doesn't run into a bad seam mm-hmm. at the expense of hitting the first seam if he knows something else might develop he'll actually let it happen he's one i think in the nfl there's a lot of backs that kind of blend together and you, you know you get so many by the end of the season there's half teams are using you know three four running backs throughout the year a lot of them just kind of look similar in how they run like bell is one of those guys that just moves differently than, than everybody else. And Johnson's certainly in that category too. But, I mean, Johnson is the best receiving back in the NFL, right? I think I'd put him slightly ahead of Bell there, and I think I'd put Bell slightly ahead of him as a running back. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's a kind of a wash. Yeah, it absolutely might be. Um, I don't know. I mean, we talked about these guys as, like, top three backs oh, right. overall. Like, cutting Zeke is part of this conversation. They do things a little bit differently, Zeke versus Johnson and Bell. But you get the same results week in and week out with them. You're getting like 100-plus yards from scrimmage with a TD week to week. At PPR, you get a nudge, I think, with Bell mm-hmm. and Johnson by comparison. And that might be the difference. If you're playing in a, a non-PPR league, Zeke might be even better than oh. those two guys. But if you're getting a full point for every catch, you feel better right. about Bell and David Johnson's contributions as receivers and their respective right. offenses. Yeah, it's not really a knock on Zeke at all. It's, I think the gap is just different in PPR versus non-PPR. It's like, I, I think you're happy to own Zeke in either format, uh, but you know, obviously being in PPR, I think that closes the gap that you know, Zeke has such an advantage on the ground, uh, but he's not quite you know, the, the pass catcher of either of those two. No, no, not at this point. I mean, it could still be something that develops as part of his game. Uh, Bucks winning on the road in San Diego. Could you be wrong about the Bucks? It's yep. just what it is. Mike Evans kind of laid an egg, three for 38, could have been worse, yep. but Cameron Brait, 6 for 86 in a score, and Freddie Martino, yeah, not making that name up, that's, 4 for 56. That's a guy. Nice, it, nice try. If, if Martino doesn't hog four targets, if those four targets go to Mike Evans, Evans gets maybe Freddie Martino. No 7 way. for 
90 on this one, 7 for 94. I mean, I would have taken that in a heartbeat compared to the 3 for 38. I, just, I don't know about this Freddie Martino thing. Like this, who is that one? Isn't there a famous like baseball prospect who is Sid Finch? That's one of them. Isn't and that, like, is, isn't this is Jim Dowd one of them? John Dowd. Who was Jim? Well, see, the, I don't know. Well, there's John Dowd from MVP Baseball. That's what they called Barry Bonds because Barry Bonds wouldn't let games use his likeness. Oh yeah, Jim Dowd is a former hockey player. Okay. So now I'm crossing up fake people with yeah. real ones. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah, that's not good at all. Hmm. Well, Cecil Shorts plays for the Buccaneers, too. Huh. Yeah, he does. He's sure. still around. Uh, for the Chargers, Melvin Gordon, 17 for 84 and a score. Also caught four passes, 54 yards. Dontrell Inman, 2 for 49 on a TD. Tyrell Williams, 2 for 47 on a TD. A combined nine targets for those two players. Phillip Rivers didn't throw it that much in this game. 15 for 26, no. 225, two TDs, a couple picks, and those picks proved to be very costly. Uh, in this game, Bucks now seven and five, Chargers at five and seven. In that division, especially, that pretty much ends their playoff hopes. Yeah, I think they're they're both finished and done uh, right now, and it, it's a shame because like if, if San Diego was in literally any other division, they would probably have a couple more wins and would be right there in terms of wild card or even winning the division. They'd be undefeated in division if they played in the AFC North. They would win that division so. easily. Yes, they would. I be mean, the, they win the AFC South. They might be. They're doing it. They're oh yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I've, I think you mean the South. Yeah. I meant South. I mean, I meant America's division. And maybe even the NFC North too. I don't. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to look at their. They're plus 15 right now. They're in fourth place in their division. They're plus 15 on the year. Both the NFC East and the AFC West have four teams with positive differentials. Don't yeah, see that often. No, you uh, you really don't. Um, Nothing else in this game really caught my eye. I mean, Travis Benjamin's still not doing much. It, it, it's it's really frustrating that Dontrell Inman and Tyrell Williams, they both score, but they didn't get high volume because of the way the game flow happened and because of those picks. Uh, the Sunday night game, what a debacle. I'm Panthers, glad I chose Westworld finale over this game. Yeah, the Panthers fell 40-7 to in this one. I mean, their season, if, if there's any doubt, now definitely yeah. over. So, I mean, the biggest storyline is what happened on the first play for Carolina, right? Yeah, why, so why exactly was Cam he not playing? tie. When was this? this uh, that's what's being reported is that Newton, uh, well, they didn't, I mean, there was really no indication that he was in any sort of, you know, disciplinary situation until Derek Anderson came out to take the first snap for Carolina. And, of course, that turned into a, an interception on the, on the first play of the game. Uh, so everybody's scrambling at that point to find out why is Cam Newton not starting. And, of course, Cam uh, came out to start the, the next drive for Carolina after they were down 7-0. Uh, but what was being reported, at least, is that he did not wear a tie to the game. I'm assuming he was told everyone's wearing a tie this week. He didn't, so Ron Rivera decided to bench him uh, for that first play. What's interesting is like if Derek Anderson doesn't throw a pick, was Cam only going to sit out that one play? Was Anderson going to get the whole first drive? Probably a whole series. Well, right, but like, what if they go? What if they go down and score with Anderson? Then does he stay in? You know, like the fact that Anderson threw a pick right away kind of took away any sort of like uh, disciplinary leverage that Ron Rivera had. Well, if you don't announce the punishment, it comes off as very arbitrary when it looks results based. Mm-hmm. And it may not have been at all. It may have just right. been for a series. I don't think it was for a play. A one play would be weird. That would be and if it was one play, why wouldn't you just hand the ball off? Yeah. Just from a coaching standpoint, like, all, you're, if all you're trying to do is just prove a point, run the ball. Like, well, your fullback screen out of the backfield, that, that's what they ran. Mike Tolbert bobbled the ball. That's why it got picked off. Mm-hmm. But it, it, if, if Derek Anderson's only going to play one play, 
it shouldn't be him throwing the ball by design. Uh, yeah, I, I I completely agree. It sounds like he was supposed to be, uh, you know, Cam was quote unquote suspended for the first series. Uh, basically, he was suspended for the first series. The series only happened the last one play. Uh, but no, TMZ actually has video of a uh, confrontation between Newton and, and Rivera uh, in which he's basically, you can kind of see him saying, like, why are you not wearing a tie? Cam, Cam did say, to his credit, after the game, he didn't follow the dress code. Coach told me I was going to be suspended for the first series. I respect his decision. <laughs> I just, I don't understand like, how that happens. Now this is an issue. Like, Cam, when's the last time Cam's worn a tie? I, I don't know. Cam's always wearing, like, hats and stuff after the game. Right. You know, like, the, the think, dressy like, hats. Like, yeah, like, now he's finally reached the breaking point. The thing that, it's, like, to me, it's not any sort of indictment against Cam or anything no. like that. But it's just, like, it's a silly thing to it get looks, suspended for. It it's looks like, bad on Cam. It's like, just, dude, like. You're you're grown up. You know the dress right. code. Just do it. Like it, yeah. it, it's silly. It's a silly reason to miss any time at all. Yeah. And Carolina was going to lose this game no matter what. It, it but didn't matter. Starting the game on that note, you know. Yeah, that just makes it even more difficult to right. go into an environment like that and get a good yeah. result. And it, it clearly didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But wow, what are you doing? 182 yards and a TD for Cam. It went to Ted Ginn, five for 80 on six targets. Suddenly, Ted Ginn's the guy you want in the Carolina passing game. I don't think that's going to hold up through the fantasy playoffs, but stranger things yeah, if you're have in happened. That, that's like plus five points for drops. You don't want to grab Ginn. Well, he's already owned in those formats. Uh, for Number one pick. For Seattle, Russell Wilson got back on track, 277. Uh, one passing TD, it went to Jimmy Graham. He had four different receivers get over 60 yards, Curse, yep. Baldwin, Graham, and Tyler Lockett. Um, Wilson also ripped off a 75-yard rushing touchdown. Yep, first play of the second half. Rawls looked good, 15 for 106, left the game with an injury and came back. Right. Two scores for Rawls, so looks like everything is starting to click for the Seahawks at just yeah. the right time. We saw Travon Boykin playing a little QB in this game, too. Ryan Mallett and Travon Boykin both taking snaps in Week 13. What a gift. Doesn't get any better than that. Monday night game tonight. Ugh, we talked about it, I think, briefly on Thursday. I think the Colts win. I mean, that's, that's all I got. Sure. No, you have nothing else to uh, add? Uh, not really. No. Um, I don't know what to think of this Colts team. I mean, Luck is supposed to be back, right? Yep. And T.Y. Hilton is supposed to play. So. Right. So, I mean, that makes you feel a little bit better. They have a, they're have they coming off of a long week, which is nice, I guess, preparation-wise, having played uh, on Thanksgiving with Tolzien. I mean, I don't – I have no faith in either of these teams, really, but I think the Jets are slightly worse than the Colts. Yeah, they are. Sure. But – they're at home. The Colts lost to the Jaguars. That's all. That's in the back of my mind. Think about that. That's a that's a pretty bad indictment. It's uh, it's quite the indictment, really. All right, it's going to wrap things up for the Monday episode of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Jake and Eric are back with you with a waiver episode on Tuesday. <laughs>